Check, check, and we are golden. Many people wonder, what is wrong with our world, this world that we live in? And then it can get a little more personal than that, even as you read the news. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. I was like, why is everybody looking at the screen? Why is nobody paying attention to me? Uh, yeah, this is our little, uh, our little graphic. A beacon of hope and healing in a sea of pride. And that last word on there will change each week as we dig into different uh, categories. Okay, so there's, there's the graphic. Thanks, Jacob, for doing that. Um, but um, it gets a little more personal as we read the news. We also think things like, what's wrong with our country? What's wrong with this country? You may have thought something along these lines. What's wrong with this city, our city? That's getting even more personal. And there's a lot of mess people like to talk about. You probably have conversations with your coworkers and your neighbors about the mess of the world around us. Well, what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to dig into the mess. And the church has always had the same answer. And the reason we go back to these seven vices that were, that were uh, brought forward by the church fathers you know, thousands of years ago, and then kind of uh, perfected and dug into in the Middle Ages, is the fact that it never goes away, and the church's answer to the mess in the world has always been the same. Sin. <laughs> now, there's all kinds of answers you're going to read in the newspaper or on the Internet or whatever to what is wrong with the world. But again, the Bible and the church has always said the same thing. Sin. That is what's wrong with the world. So we're going to dig into, and it's really important for us to understand what sin is and the manifestations it it can uh, produce. And the reason it's important for us to understand that is we can't really understand the world around us, and we can't even understand ourselves unless we understand the nature of sin. And unless we understand the nature of sin, you can't really understand the gospel. You can't understand the point of what God is doing, what God's creation is, what Jesus Christ came to do without understanding sin. So I know it sounds like, okay, Nathan, we're going to spend seven weeks on sin. This is going to be a major downer. And yes, there will be parts that will be hard for all of us to swallow, but there's always hope and there's always healing. That is how we'll end every single study. Always hope, always healing through Jesus Christ. So let's dig in this morning to this biggie, pride. The church fathers recognized that pride was actually at the root of all other sins. The Bible teaches that too. Pride is the thing that drives us to do things that are contrary both to the law of God and hurting the people around us. Now today, to get into this topic of pride, we're going to look at what I call vanilla pride, and that's what we read right here in in uh, Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar. And then we're going to look at chocolate, what I'm calling chocolate chip cookie dough pride. And that is this term called vainglory. Have you ever heard of vainglory before? Yeah, well, you'll know it what it is after this sermon. So we're going to look first at the symptoms of each of those types of pride, and then we're going to look at the solutions. The symptoms and then the solutions. First of vanilla pride and then of chocolate chip cookie dough pride. So let's go. Let's dive in. Vanilla pride, here we go. Um, this is really important. Uh, this is going to be life-changing. I can, I can guarantee that as we dive into God's Word together this morning. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. Wow, really powerful, really important uh, guy in the Bible, in the world, really, in the world history. And he goes high. Kingdom is the largest in the world. He goes extremely low, as we read about in our story. And then God restores him back up to the heights, right? Back up to uh, some of the power that he had before that. But let's look at what happens to him and what it means for us. So 
he has some troubling dreams. And, he, and, it's, and it's causing him major angst. Like, I don't know what's wrong with life. I don't know what's wrong with my life. But I need someone to help interpret this. So Daniel comes along and he helps him interpret. And he says, King, you're falling into the grip of pride. And he says, turn now. I don't know if you remember that. But he says, King, turn towards the Lord. Turn towards His righteousness. And quit oppressing the poor. Quit making people suffer. And what happens? I don't know. You may not remember from the passage. But a year goes by. Twelve months pass. And he's standing on the veranda of one of his large castles. And what does he say? Isn't all of this beautiful that I made with my hands? That I conquered with my power? And he's, his pride is just oozing from every pore in his body. Y'all, that's what pride does. When, it's, when we're in the grip of pride, here's how it plays out in our lives. I deserve good things. And when I'm not getting them, I'm bitter and I'm angry. When I am getting them, just deserts. I deserve this. Y'all, that, that's what we see with Nebuchadnezzar and it's what we see with anybody who is struggling in the grip of pride. There is this sense of oldness to life. I am owed more and better than I'm getting. And not only am I owed more and better than I'm getting, everything that I have currently, I've earned it. I mean, I've worked hard. I deserve these things. Right? Have you ever had these thoughts before? Someone, I can tell by some of the looks on your faces that, that these thoughts have passed through your minds before. It's ugly. You probably know people like this. Um, and it can, it can turn someone incredibly bitter. If you know anyone who's incredibly bitter, it's generally because they are in the grip of pride. I was owed something in my life and I never got it. And I'm mad. <laughs> And I'm not going to take it anymore. Right? Or, look at all these good things. I'm going to flaunt them. See, that's what um, Nebuchadnezzar is doing as he stood on his veranda. He's like, look at all this. Look what I've done. This is incredible. So that's symptom number one of someone who's in the grip of pride. Symptom number one is a sense of oddness. I am owed more. People, get on board. Okay, so that's number one. There's a sub-symptom that comes along with this. And I've already mentioned it when we were talking about um, giving and tithing this morning. Jesus, when he was getting into the subject of pride, he almost always went to our wallets. It's a hard one. And y'all, I promise you, as we're doing this study, I'm not trying to get you to give more money. That is not the point of bringing this up to, uh, to this church. My point is just to share what God's word share about this. Your wallet is an indicator of the amount of pride in your heart. Because here's why. If everything I've got is what I deserve, I can't give any of it away. In fact, I need more. Right? So when our heart is in that grip, there's no way I'm going to let go of one penny of my money. Right? And on top of that, there's a deep sense of God's not going to take care of me. Because again, when we're in the grip of pride, we truly believe that we are the masters of our destiny. We are the ones who are in control of what is happening in our life. So I better take care of myself. There's no way I can give away any of my money. I'm the one that's in charge of making sure there's food on the table and making sure that I have some pleasures in my life. Again, my dad describes this. 
he's a banker. And one of the things he's done in his banking is he's done a lot of loans. And, and he sees people's financials because when you apply for a loan, especially some of the big loans that, that he, he was in charge of, they have to have everything about you, right? I mean, every bank statement you've ever had, every cell phone bill, every like little dime and nickel that you've spent. And he's like, Nathan, he was telling our family this, and he told us over and over, because trust me, it was like a broken record at some point. He's like, people don't give. That's what he said. He's like, it doesn't matter. Inside the church, outside the church, it doesn't matter socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter where you live. He's like, people don't give. He's like, I see people's financials, and it is paltry. It's like less than 1% is what most people end up giving of their of the money that they take in. Um, again, I think it is a indicator of what level of grip pride has on our life. And you can see it if you just look at your financials. Or let someone else look at your financials. That's even harder. I don't like, I don't like for that to happen to me. The grip of pride. That's a sub-symptom of the grip of pride. Now, let's look at another thing that happens in our story. So, Nebuchadnezzar is extremely prideful. He is saying, I have a deep sense of oldness. I did all of this. This place, Babylon, I made this. My power and my majesty need to be recognized. And so he's standing on his porch and God says, I don't know if you, heard, you read it in this, if you remember it from the story, as the words were on his mouth, a voice from heaven comes down and says, nope, <laughs> you're not. And guess what? You're going to spend seven months in the woods eating berries and nuts and your fingernails are going to be like claws and your hair is going to be like eagle's feathers because you're going to be spend so much time out there. Basically, he's going to lose his mind. And I think what the Bible, what God is helping us to see is that when you want to become superhuman, because again, that's what happens in the grip of pride. When you want to become superhuman, you end up becoming subhuman. I think it's a picture that we have as Nebuchadnezzar goes into the woods of when you want to become superhuman. This is the mistake that Nazi Germany made. I don't know if you've read much history. I know David has certainly read about the Nazis, right? They wanted to create the perfect race. They wanted to create the superhuman. And what ended up happening? They treated others as subhuman, right? And they they were able to kill and destroy Human life had very little value. And this is what we see, I think, with Nebuchadnezzar also. There's this sense in which when, when someone is in the grip of pride, they become subhuman. Let me explain this a little bit more deeply. And this is the negative part. We're looking at symptoms. Maybe perhaps do a little self-diagnosis. Symptoms. Here are symptoms of someone in the grip of pride and the animal nature that it creates, the subhuman nature it creates. There's a lack of empathy. A lack of empathy. Daniel tries to wake up the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, to this fact when he says, Therefore, king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Show some mercy to the oppressed. Because when you're in the grip of pride, there is no mercy to anyone, (laughs) much less the oppressed. It's this idea... Again, it's this idea of, I cannot empathize with you because I'm better than you. You're not the same type of human being that I am. You have, look at all your problems. 
Look at all the things you've done wrong. Look at how you've let your life go. Look at how you've wasted all your money. Again, you are not on the same level that I am. The grip of pride. Symptom of the grip of pride. Another thing um, that's animal-like, because animals can't have empathy, right? Um, is ego animal instincts. Have you ever seen two cats in the same yard? When I was growing up, we had cats. And whenever they would go outside at night, if there was another cat anywhere nearby, and, you know, the cat would come in with its face all scratched because there's a lot of animal instinct ego going on with cats. Cats strut around. I mean, they are such a good vision of pride, are they not? They do what they want when they want. And when there's two of them in the same yard, it's true with humans, too. You get two pride, prideful people in the same room, what happens? Right? And this doesn't have to be an actual fight that breaks out. It's just, think of someone that you categorize in about the same category as yourself. So if, let's say you're an engineer, maybe another engineer. Let's say you're a banker, maybe another banker. Let's say you're working in a hospital, maybe someone else who works in a hospital. And you get in the same room with this person and you have a sense that they might be a little better at their job than you are you're going to feel a sense of threat. There's going to be this, even if you don't directly engage them, even if you don't directly fight them and punch them in the face, there's a tension. Because this person's a threat to my pride. Because they might be a little better than me at what I'm doing. You see this with employees and bosses all the time. You might experience it yourself, even in your own workplace, y'all. But it's that animal instinct. It's a symptom of pride at work in the heart of a human being. Another thing, there's that sense of threatening, but there's also um, a sense in which I can't be real with these other people because I've got to cover up my faults because what if they found out what I'm really like, right? Pride will not let you be vulnerable. It's another symptom of pride. And then lastly, lastly, animals are not able to rejoice in suffering. You ever notice that? Because the same thing can happen to human beings. Again, if you're living in the grip of, I am owed more and better out of this life, there's going to be, it's going to be almost impossible to rejoice in your sufferings. Because your sufferings are an indication of, I need better. I should never be in this position. I'm going to protect myself next time so that I don't get it to this place where I feel vulnerable. Symptom of pride. All right. Now, let's look at solutions. So we covered sort of some of the symptoms of vanilla pride, looking at both Nebuchadnezzar and our own lives. Um, what is the solution to this type of pride? Well, one of the things is understanding and believing that we are, because of our sin, we are deserving of judgment. Y'all, if, if we're able, even for a minute, to really reflect on how sinful we are and how little we actually deserve and how much God's judgment should be placed upon us, it's really sobering. Occasionally it happens in the Bible. Occasionally it happens to us. But it's this beautiful way to see, you know what? I am worse than I ever imagined. This person came up to me and told me a little bit of what I'm really like. And wow, that hurt. But, but the Bible never, ever leaves us there. 
The Bible always says, and you are loved more than you ever dared hope. Through Jesus Christ, you have been covered. You have been forgiven. Every single one of those sins has been wiped away. You see, if you really grasp the gospel, that, that I, I deserve nothing in this life but judgment. Nothing. No good thing that's come to me do I deserve. And then, but through God, but through Christ, I receive mercy. Life becomes one big gift. You ever seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Everybody seen that? It's kind of a classic. But that's the essence of that story, isn't it? Right? He sees, he sees what life would be like. He sees how bad things could really be. And then once he's given back his return to his life, this is what happened with Nebuchadnezzar in our story. He's, God humbles him and then lifts him back up, returns him to his position, and he's completely changed. Instead of being like, on his veranda, this is my kingdom and isn't this beautiful, what I've created, all these gorgeous things. <laughs> he's like, whoa, this is all a gift. Lord, you're amazing. I can't believe my counselors are still talking to me. I can't believe I still have my house intact. Whoa! Everything at that point is a gift. And you know what's, you know what, you know what the indicator of someone who's figured out the solution? Pure, unadulterated joy. Life is just joy. You wake up in the morning and it's like, hi, breath. Oh, I have a family. Oh, I have friends. Oh, isn't this amazing? I don't deserve any of this. And you can just wake up and you start laughing when you get, you know, as you crawl out of bed, you just start laughing. I don't deserve one out of this. Man, if only we could get out of the grip of pride and get into the grip of God. Those kind of things happen. Okay, let's move on. Chocolate chip cookie dough pride. That was vanilla pride. Good old regular pride. Now chocolate chip cookie dough pride. It's basically a cousin of pride. Very close cousin named Vainglory. And Vainglory is not as concerned with being the best. You may be a vanilla pride person and what you really want is to be top of your class, top of your field, top top of anything. But Vainglory is like, you know what, I'm probably not going to be top of anything. But I'm going to look good doing it. That's vainglory. And vainglory is everywhere in our culture. It is fed to you, spoon-fed, through every advertisement that you see on the Internet, on the TV. You can look better than you currently do. You can shine more than you currently do. All you got to do is buy this, right? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about this. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, that it, he's assuming your pride's already been worked on here. He's like, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. Okay, so we got to take a look at vainglory if we're going to look at this completely because we live in the culture of YouTube and Facebook. Vainglory's most wonderful tools. I am going to show how awesome I am. Because that's what vainglory is. It's slightly different than vanilla pride because it's all about the show. It's all about just letting people think (laughs) that you're a certain type of person without actually having to be that type of person. Right? We all do. Y'all, I am totally guilty of this. Um, As I was studying for this, I was like, I don't want to keep going because I see vainglory all over in my life. Vainglory cares only about appearance. It was summed up in that phrase from the 90s with Canon EOS cameras. Do you remember this one? Image is everything. That's what Canon EOS said in the mid-90s. Vainglory is caring about appearance. It's caring about people falling in love with an image of yourself rather than who you actually are. Another example. This is something that teenagers are into. Hunter's into this. Hunter, you wanted to give me a quick demonstration up here? Can you do one of those dances for me? So Hunter's going to give us a quick demonstration. Are you brave enough? Come on up. Come on up. You can pick whichever one you want. Okay, so this is from this game called Fortnite. You guys ever heard of this? So let's do a quick, quick demo. There it is. Yes. Yes. And what is this one called? The shoot. Thank you for the shoot, Hunter. Give him a hand. There, we've given him his vainglory for the day. So there's this, for those of you who don't know, there's this game. It's on all of the different video game consoles. It's on phones, Android and iOS, and it's called Fortnite. And it's basically just shooting other people with guns. But it has this element to it that is pure vainglory. The only thing that you can buy in the game are clothing items for your little character who goes around shooting other people and dances. That's it. You can't buy, you can't buy like better guns. You can't like buy to improve your character so that you, you can only buy clothing and you can only buy dances. And there's like 50 different dances for this thing. And the kids, like at his middle school, they do it all day, every day. This is a phenomenon. And here, no, let's take Vainglory to the next level. Then, what the kids do nowadays, I don't let my kids play Fortnite, by the way. Um, they then get on YouTube. Okay, again, Vainglory's wonderful tool. And they, catch this, they watch people playing the game. <laughs> so you're, you're, and then the person who's playing the game is getting like new items and shooting people on the game. And they're like, woohoo, I'm awesome. And the people are typing, you know, that are watching on YouTube, the person playing it are like, you're incredible. Wow, this is amazing. You know, and it's just like this pool of vainglory just spurting out from every corner. And y'all, it's not just Fortnite. I mean, I'm picking on that, but you name it. Name the video game. Name the YouTube personality. One of our favorites in our house is these, these people called Dude Perfect. Dude Perfect shoots basketballs into basketball hoops from like 100 yards away and like puts frisbees into little canisters a thousand feet away or whatever. That's all they do. I mean, it is the definition of vainglory. Why do I say it's the definition of vainglory? Vainglory is 
trying to get some type of importance or acceptance from things that are utterly frivolous. Utterly frivolous. Y'all, our culture loves it. We eat it up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, a couple of symptoms. I've, I've picked on Fortnite enough. The full reward, Jesus says, for vainglory is the clapping of hands. That's it. So what's he, what's Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying, you, when you're in the grip of vainglory, not regular pride, but in vainglory, all you really care about is the clap of a few people. You c- could care less about what God thinks of a particular action or of a particular thing you're doing or of a particular virtue you're trying to cultivate in your life. It is all about what the people around you can clap at. You focus your life on it. You do things to get a clap. Again, morality at this point doesn't matter because so much of our morality we can hide. I mean, our immorality is maybe a better way to put it. Right? You can hide that from someone. You can put forward a show to where people are like, oh, what a nice guy, what a nice gal, so great. So you got your show all set up, but man, on your own, when you're back by yourself, you know, it's all, everything breaks loose at that, at that point. I can do whatever I want as long as I'm not in what people are looking at. Um, so, symptoms. Three symptoms, and then we're going to conclude right after this, okay? First of all, symptoms of vainglory in a person's life. Jesus talked about it in that passage. Lots of talking. <laughs> Jesus is like, stop babbling when you pray. You're not saying anything of substance. You're just doing it for show. That is, y'all, who's guilty of this? This guy right here. You've all heard me talk too much. I like to talk. Doing it right now. Um, a vainglorious person will not shut up especially about themselves, which is why Facebook and Instagram are just like lovely toys for the vainglorious. It's a way I can talk about myself without actually having somebody else in the room. Isn't this amazing? Okay. Also, for the vainglorious, a lack of depth in relationship. A vainglorious person cannot let you in to the ugly and hard and real places of their brokenness and therefore cannot be truly known and loved and cannot truly know and love others. That is a classic symptom of the vainglorious, is a lack of depth in the relationship in their lives. Okay, lastly, last symptom of the vainglorious. They appear righteous, but are are not actually righteous. Um, It's called a lack of integrity. Again, it's when your public face and your private face are two different things. Um, Integrity, that word, means whole. Right, so, and, and the reason it says whole is my private life and my public life are one and the same. I'm a whole. I am, I have integrity. Right, so the opposite would be true if we don't have integrity. Right, we kind of put on a show for the people that we think matter, and then we do whatever we want when we think people aren't looking. Again, it's, the reason this is bad, the reason we call this a vice or a sin is because we don't care about God at that point. Right? He is out of the picture. It's only about people. We haven't, we haven't cared about what the Lord thinks, what His standards of ethics are, or of justice is. Solution. We close with this. The solution to vainglory. 
Uh, let me read a quick quote uh, from one of the books I'm reading. It's called Glittering Vices. If you want to read more about, kind of study a little more deeply into some of these things we're talking about, it's a great book. Um, but it, the, the author of that says, In the end, however, trying to manage our own reputation and manufacture approval for ourselves yields a life of isolation, falsity, and shallowness, and self-preoccupation. What a contrast with a life rooted in God's unconditional approval, a life in which we lay down the crushing burden of the opinions of others and give up on all the little human systems of self-aggrandizement and the self-promotion that leads to exhaustion and emptiness. So the solution there from that book and from what the Bible teaches us is God's approval, right? That's the solution. That's what our hearts, when we're being vainglorious, that's what they really want at the end of the day. They want God's approval. And we know from Romans chapter 4, when we studied Abraham, remember Abraham? Romans chapter 4 verse 2 says this, This is why Abraham's faith was regarded as the basis of his approval by God. Because the words, his faith was regarded as the basis of his approval by God, were written not only for him, but also for us. Our faith will be regarded as the basis of our approval by God, each of us who believe in the one who brought Jesus our Lord back to life. Jesus our Lord was handed over to death because of our failures and was brought back to life so that we could receive God's approval. Wow. That's it. We, through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, we receive by faith God's full approval. Whoa. I mean, what would that feel like, even for a moment? We really, truly believed. I'm okay. God approves of me. Two quick actions that we can take when coming to God's learning to receive God's approval. First is, if you struggle with vainglory, like I do, get some time of silence and solitude. Get quiet and get alone. This is what the early church fathers prescribed for someone who is struggling with the vice of vainglory. Silence is a practice that many find uncomfortable, myself included. Um, I was at Walmart this week, and I was buying something in the electronics section that's behind the little grates. You know how behind the checkout counter they have cages for the more expensive items there? Mine wasn't very expensive, but it was still in that cage. I asked the girl, you know, I, I want this item that's out here on the rack. And she's like, okay, let me go check. You know, she's pawned through all the different things inside the cage, and it's not there. So I'm like, she's like, sorry. I was like, you look for one minute? Really? Like, So I'm walking. I was like, okay, see ya. So I'm walking out, and I go online to walmart.com. And I'm like, does this store have any stock? Yes. There's two here. So I hoof back to the electronic section. I'm like, uh, online it says that there's two. She's like, well, I mean, you can't believe that. I'm like, really? I was like, I trust computers more than people generally. <laughs> I didn't say that to her. but, And she's like, okay, let me go check in back. So she goes in back. She's rummaging through things. And while she's back there, I just decide to kind of peek over the counter a little bit, see what's in the case. And sure enough... The item I'm looking for is right there. But then my mind goes, uh-oh. How am I going to do this? Because I'm going to make her feel terrible. I don't want to do that. I was like, I'm studying vainglory in my sermon preparation. I'm just going to make her 
be a little vainglorious. I was like, okay, let's do a test. I was like, let's see what what the human heart does in this. I was like, this will be interesting to see. And so she comes back, and I'm like, there. If 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 you just open it from that side in that corner down there, you might find that there's that item, you know. And what and what does she start doing, y'all? And I do this too. I am not trying to pin this on on her, but she starts talking. Well, in the back, there was this thing, there's this bad, there's not, I can't believe they put that there, and they've already moved things, and they put those things over there, and they just, and they never tell me what the new stock is. I'm like, yep, <laughs> I do it too, right? Caught in our weakness, <laughs> caught in our frailty, caught in the fact that we just don't know it all. And then what do we do? I'm a real good person. It's not my fault. That's what God says. That's what Jesus says. You don't have to babble. You're already approved. Settle on in. Doesn't that feel good? Lastly, solitude. I also don't do well with solitude. You know, I like people to see me and allow me to express myself. Um, and now, here's what makes it even more difficult nowadays, y'all. I encourage you occasionally to fast from your phone. Turn it off altogether. Put it on a shelf. Because our phones now are like the inability to have any real solitude. Because even when there's not actual human beings around us, we can be like, uh-huh, what an amazing sunset. Post. You know, Look at what I did today. Woohoo! Everybody, how many likes did I get? That's what I hate about social media. I'm always like, I always go back. I'm like, Nathan, don't go back. I need to see how many likes I have from that post yesterday. And I'm like, 37? Oh, that's terrible. Because then I see my friend who's like three posts down. He's got like 190. And he posted like three hours ago. Who am I? Have you guys ever done this? It's okay to turn your phone off and take 10 minutes and just be like, you know what, Lord? You approve of me through Jesus Christ. That's what this meal is. And before we go to it, let's pray. Lord, you came to save us from pride. Lord, you taught us that the sin that sent Satan into the depths was pride. Lord, you teach us that Adam and Eve, their sin in the garden was pride. And Lord, we still struggle with it. Pride is all over the place. We know it. We feel it. Break us of it. Lord, just like Nebuchadnezzar, we pray that you would do that incredible work of breaking us of our pride. And Lord, I pray that those in here this morning would would not feel the weight of their sin, but instead feel the beauty of your salvation. The fact that you are every day rescuing us from our sin and that you're constantly bringing us into new places of wonder and delight. Lord, I pray for my own heart and for everyone in here that we would see this life and this salvation and this time together as a gift from you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, one of the ways that we as a church, as the kiddos come in here, just a second. 
one of the ways that we connect ourselves with not only the ancient church, but one of the ways that we connect ourselves with the New Testament and what Jesus was doing is we have this meal together. And this meal is this beautiful reminder of the solution, of the fact that through Jesus, we are nourished, we are fed, and we are made whole. We are made whole. It's only through Christ that we have integrity. So let's come now to the one who was broken, torn to pieces, to make us whole. And we also ask that uh, if you if you have not attached yourself to a church of Jesus Christ, if you have not placed your faith in Him, that you would let these elements pass by and take just a moment to reflect upon what God might be teaching you from His Word here this morning. But um, if you have come to know Him as your Savior, if you have been made whole by Him, eat with joy. With joy. Because on the night when He was upstairs with His disciples, He took the bread and He broke it. And He said, This is My body which is broken for you, I want you to eat this meal in remembrance of me. And if you would, just tear off a little piece and then we'll partake together. Hey, Dave, can you mind, you mind grabbing that? Thanks, buddy. Thanks. body of Christ broken for you. Eat now in remembrance. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup. Whoop, wrong one. And when he had given thanks, he said, I want you to drink this in remembrance of the fact that I have taken away by my blood every single one of your sins, including pride and vainglory. Also, as a reminder, the outside ring is grape juice. The inner rings are wine.
blood of Christ shed for you. Drink now in remembrance. Lord God, thank you for this meal, for the fact that you consistently and constantly nourish us us by your Spirit. And through Jesus, we pray that he would fill our lives this week. It's his name we pray. Amen. Let's now stand for our final song talking about the love of the Father. Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory Hold the man upon a cross My sin Upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast. Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Amen.
Don't forget, we have got a party coming up right now. Well, after I do the benediction, we'll head outside. And uh, there's two inflatables on the far side of that bathroom kiosk. And there's tables set up over here underneath the two trees. Um, and if you don't mind, we'll need a little help kind of breaking down in here and getting set up out there. So view this as um, a big family lunch you're doing at your home. Uh, and we'd love for everyone to join us for some barbecue. I got brisket too. Just to y'all know. DJ, you, you better believe it. Now receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks for helping out, buddy. I need to get that book still, but I got to thinking about that.